everybody and welcome back to the so below average podcast the terrible show for people with absolutely terrible taste if you've already forgotten my name's allison and i will be your below average guide to this brain cell killing show where we dissect the most terrible movies that have ever been forged the fires of hell Maybe we're just reviewing the trashiest b movies that we can find on the internet whichever uh, this episode, we are going to be taking a look at a film with a premise so awful, I changed my film lineup to accommodate it. Um, if, you re- if you read the description, congratulations, because you know that today we are looking at the film Jurassic Games, directed by Ryan Belgart. And yes, it is exactly what it sounds like. It is sim- oversimplified to an extent as a mashup of The Hunger Games and Jurassic Park. We'll get into that in a little bit, but first I just want to say, this concept made me giggle as soon as I saw it. I just could not believe that such a thing actually existed. I couldn't believe that somebody had decided to make a Hunger Games with dinosaurs when, kind of, didn't we already get that? I mean, I think some of those lizard creatures in the fourth movie kind of count as Jurassic, as like Jurassic Hunger Games, but um, we'll get to, like I said, we'll get to all that in a minute. Um, before we really get into it, I have to remind you of my disclaimer. I did not go to school for film, but I have a long background in narrative critique. If you are looking for a review that is going to find all sorts of interesting things about camera angles, color correction, costuming goofs, this is not the show for you, because I don't know about those things. Again, I went to school for English, we don't learn that shit. All we learn is what's on paper. So without further ado... Let's get into the below average madness. Like I said before, this film is directed by Ryan Belgart. He has three movies to his name, including this one. One is still unrated. Um, The other is a 3.6 out of 10 on IMDb. The Jurassic Games is his best rated film, featuring a 3.7 out of 10 score on IMDb, and a surprising fresh rating of 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, although the audience score is less than half of that at 41%, and personally, I will take the majority over the critic scores. The film was written by a Mr. Galen Christie, and the script for this movie appears to be his only writing credit. His case is helped by the fact that I first mistook him for Galen Erso from Star Wars Rogue One. However, he is not. Generally, he works as a producer, The most notable thing he's worked on besides the Jurassic games is the Adventures of a Jurassic Pet, which is actually, funnily, also directed by Ryan Belgart. Other than that, it seems that his career has been pretty quiet. Otherwise, nothing more to say on him. Uh, The cast of this movie is headed by Adam Hampton, who plays Anthony Tucker, a man who has been wrongfully convicted of his wife's brutal homicide. Hampton does not seem to have a very long film career, as I have in my notes here. Generally, he prefers to act in independent short films, which I totally absolutely understand. 
Um, he has quite a few awards for them, which I also get him having quite a few awards because his acting in this film, as I'll get into in a little bit, is actually pretty decent. I was very pleasantly surprised by the acting in this movie. But like I said, we'll get to that when we get to the forgivable choices. Alongside Hampton is Katie Burgess, who plays the main antagonist, Joy. She has a slightly larger body of work than Hampton that I saw, including playing the lead in 2015's Two Secrets, which has a surprisingly high IMDb score. She's the youngest member of the cast as well, as she was only 17 at the time of filming, and I gotta say, she gives a really genuinely fantastic performance. Like I said, I was very impressed with her, especially for her age and for the character she was playing. Uh, There are two slightly more famous members of the cast. Ryan Merriman, who plays the host of the games, is probably best known for his role as Ian on Pretty Little Liars, and for roles in movies such as Halloween Resurrection and the Second Ring movie. Later this year, Merriman is set to star in two different Western films, one titled Palominas, and the other one, The Hard Ride. That's funny. I swear I saw the title of that last one on a porn site. The other, more famous cast member is Perry Reeves, who plays the lead producer of the Jurassic Games, Savannah. Besides the Jurassic Games, Reeves is known for her TV roles in shows like Famous in Love, which stars Bella Thorne, and Entourage, as well as the third installment of the Child's Play franchise, which I thought was super fucking impressive, because Child's Play is one of my favorite horror franchises. Um, She was also on the 2016 Beat Bobby Flay episode, Green with Envy, which happens to be one of my favorite cooking shows of all time. So, of course, I had to look up and watch her episode again, uh, just because I couldn't remember exactly what had happened. And, of course, Bobby won. Uh, There's a couple of really fun facts about Reeves that I found when I was looking her up on the internet. Her grandfather, Hazard Reeves, which, by the way, great name love it. Can I name my son Hazard? Because uh, if he's related to me, he probably is hazardous in some way, shape, or form. Her grandfather, Hazard Reeves, introduced stereoscopic sound to the film industry. And if you don't know what that is, I didn't either. So uh, excuse me while I'm looking at my notes because I still frankly don't completely understand it. This is not my forte. Basically, it's when you create a layered sound using multiple audio channels. It's why things can get softer in one ear and greater in the other while you're wearing headphones. You can do that the same thing, obviously, with speakers. Um, I'm actually recording my audio in stereo at the moment, and this is the same kind of thing where I have the two channels of my voice to watch um, and to edit that. So if I wanted to make sure that you guys could hear me only in one ear, I could absolutely do that or vice versa. And he's not the only famous member of her family either. Her great-grandfather was a U.S. senator from Delaware. Whew! Now that's a family. You go from... Delaware senator to audio technician in the golden age of Hollywood, and then you go to a actress playing a part in a movie called The Jurassic Games. That is what you call a slide. <laughs> or a pla- actually, make that a plateau. <laughs> I, although I really actually can't fault her acting. She's actually very talented. I very much appreciated her performance in this movie. Oh, uh, so the Jurassic Games began filming with a budget of 10 million U.S. dollars. Uh, in comparison, its genre mate, Jurassic World, had a budget of about uh, 150 million dollars. The Jurassic Games budget is a tenth of that. 
Um, and then the more recent Jurassic Park film, Fallen Kingdom, which came out somewhat, actually the same year, I think, had a budget of $170 million. So just to let you know, this is a very much a lower budget film. They did not have the resources necessary to make it as good as a Jurassic Park film. The movie began filming in early 2017 and was released in September of 2018. Uh, since this film had a much longer development cycle than Toxic Shark, last week's travesty, I was very much hoping for a much better result. And honestly, the special effects here, I think, are a huge improvement on Toxic Shark. I really don't have much more to say on production, other than um, it was a decent production cycle. We had a really great cast put together. I don't know about the directing and producing and the visual arts team, but it was decently put together. Oh, and the music score is decent. I will say that. The music score, I didn't find a producer or anything for that, but it is decent. It is not Jurassic Park John Williams, but it's it's good enough for what we have going here. Without further words or any more of me rambling, let's kind of get on to the meat and potatoes of the show. What was good and what was bad. Roll elevator music! Hi guys! This is the warning for those of you who would like to see the Jurassic games, although I really don't know why you would. There are spoilers in the rest of the episode. This is also a good opportunity to issue a warning to any of you who are sensitive to gore, explanations of graphic deaths, capital punishment, or anything related to the aforementioned topics. Viewer discretion is advised. If you prefer, please go to the review portion at 50 minutes and 30 seconds. Thank you, and see you there. Alright, so once again, I'm going to give you a handy-dandy quick plot summary. Not as much happens in this film, which is kind of surprising when you consider that there were fewer characters in Toxic Shark than there are in Jurassic Games, but the people in Jurassic Games tend to take some more obvious steps rather than to go fuck all places and figure out half-baked plans like they did in Toxic Shark. So I think it was much easier for me to follow because they were very clear, where are we, what are we doing in Jurassic Games, which I very much appreciated the direction of for that. But anyway, here we go. Um, the movie opens with the end results of Anthony Tucker's murder trial. He's been convicted and sentenced to death for his wife's murder. He is dragged off to death row despite maintaining his innocence in the murder. Once there, he is asked to compete in what is described as the ultimate reality TV show, The Jurassic Games. Tucker and nine other contestants, aka death row prisoners, participate in the games through advanced virtual reality. Once they land in the games, the rules are explained to them by the host, played by Ryan Merriman. They must get through three zones of the games, and whoever lives through them is freed from prison and exonerated. Whoever loses or dies in the game dies for real via lethal injection, although they can still feel the pain from however way they died. The host gives them one hour to get to their first objective, a temporary safe zone just past the tree line, and then he disappears as a Tyrannosaurus Rex barges through the trees and devours the oldest contestant, Dr. Eli Franklin, a school bomber that killed five people. One of the female contestants, Joy, runs into killer William Davis, also known as Billy. 
who begins to strangle her, only to be saved by Tucker. After a brutal fistfight, Tucker smashes Davis's temples in with a rock. Joy then bashes the still-alive Davis's head in, showing much more brutality than necessary. Tucker is disturbed by her brutality, but follows her towards the safe zone. And then a compsignathus that we never see later on in the film begins to chew on Davis. In the Tucker household, Anthony's kids, Bailey and Andrew, are being interviewed by a representative for the games named Laura. After the reporter mentions that Tucker will be pardoned of all crimes if he wins, Andrew vehemently states that his father did not kill his mother. Bailey pleads with her father to survive the games, and Andrew begins shouting that he needs to be pulled out. Outside, people are protesting the Jurassic Games. Laura expresses doubts about Tucker's conviction and sentence, but knows that she can't do anything about him being in the games. Back in the games, Joy taunts Tucker about the murder of his wife. After telling Tucker that she believes he is indeed innocent, she turns on him, getting a rope around his neck, and hangs him from a tree. In the control room, a pre-recorded interview between Laura and Joy plays, in which she nearly kills a guard instead of answering. Still alive, but on the verge of strangulation, Tucker is saved by Ren Sazio, a contract killer who murdered a United States senator. Ren stresses that they have to work together to get to the safe zone, noting that they are being hunted by a pack of three velociraptors. Laura is listening back to Ren's taped confession when Savannah, the game's cold-hearted producer, walks in and threatens her position because... Laura doesn't seem to like the games very much and doesn't like the fact that it's corporal punishment. Laura is frustrated by the producer's decisions to make her interview Tucker's children, who are about to watch their father die on live TV. Honestly, I get that one. In the games, Victor Gonzalez, the former head of a drug cartel, comes face to face with two men known as Big Brother and Little Brother. After asking Victor where the safe zone is, the brothers attack Gonzalez, who offers them their mother's safety in exchange for their help in getting him to the end. This doesn't go well, but the raptors interrupt them before anyone gets hurt. The little brother taunts the raptors, which attack, but then phase through them, because the game makers turned them off. <laughs> uh, Gonzalez repeats his offer to save the brother's mother. Uh, the little brother is against it, but the big brother considers it. Gonzalez offers to pay for their mother's cancer treatments, which the big brother accepts. The little brother is still murderously wary, but Big Brother intervenes. The host interjects to tell the audience that Mason Brothers' mother has already passed away of cancer before the games even began, which is just a little hint of cruelty on top of the whole thing. Uh, Ren and Tucker are getting closer to the safe zone, heavily pursued by three velociraptors. They hide behind a rock formation and are relieved to find that they have made it to the second round, the maze. The other contestants move to the second phase with the Mason brothers, Gonzalez, Joy, Tucker, Ren, and two other contestants, Albert the Cannibal, and Stephanie, moving on to the next round. Joy is surprised to see Tucker, who moves to attack her on sight. However, before they can lay a hand on each other, the contestants are pulled out of the games by the host to set up for the next segment. The host introduces the maze, where the contestants have to solve the puzzle in order to release a chain connecting them to a wall. Albert the Cannibal solves his puzzle first and wins a firearm to help him through the games. He begins threatening the other competitors, but Tucker frees himself from his chain and takes the gun away from Albert. Joy remarks that Tucker is the perfect person to have the gun in the game because he won't use it on the other competitors. The host releases the Velociraptors, the other contestants solve their mazes and hightail it out the door into a physical maze, except for Ren, whose screen was broken by Albert. Tucker frees Ren, and they all escape from the maze, but they are quickly separated again. Ren is cornered by three raptors. He lasts a while by fighting them off with a chain attached to his wrist, which is fucking fabulous. It is a great fight. 
Um, but ultimately, Ren is devoured by velociraptors. It's, it's very unfortunate. He's like the other nice person in the game. Tucker saves Stephanie from a raptor, but accidentally gives away their location doing so. All of the contestants meet up, only to find that the maze is a dead end. Tucker shoots out a grate over the ventilation shaft, uh, which the competitors escape out of and into the next segment. For being the first person out of the maze, Stephanie is awarded a map, but which is quickly stripped from her by the other competitors. Laura reveals to the viewer that Stephanie is a serial killer who raped and murdered 16 men and broadcasted it live on the internet. Yikes. <laughs> yikes. Fucking yikes. Uh, Savannah, the director of the games, does a not-so-great interview with a news anchor who asks her about the morality of the games. She gives a distant answer, responding that the people in the games are going to die anyway. The anchor of the news reveals that a group of people known as the Cavemen are planning to destroy the game ending. Uh, Savannah is furious that the morality of the games is still being brought up so many years later. She also reveals that she wishes that she could have killed all the contestants because they're all horrible people, even though Tucker may or may not be innocent. The contestants all trek forward into a desert scene. Stephanie and Tucker seem to bond a little and then Gonzalez gets poisoned by a carnivorous plant. He tells the brothers that he was never going to help them anyway and then he dies. The big brother almost quits the game, but the little brother encourages him to keep going. It's a little heartwarming, honestly. Gotta appreciate them. Especially because, you know, they know that they can't both win the game. They have to kill each other if they get to the end anyway, so. Uh, the host reappears with their next objective in front of them. If they get through a minefield, then they will receive a knife and a laser gun. If they step on a mine, they will die. The big brother taps out, choosing to die now. There's no chance of saving their mother. The other contestants continue moving on towards their objective. The game makers release the pterodactyls that circle the minefield, which quickly pick off the remaining Mason brother, dropping him on a mine. The host and Savannah discuss the cavemen further, but the host urges her to let it go because the controversy surrounding Tucker and possibly being innocent boosts the ratings. Yeah, not worth it, my friend. Not worth it. Back in the games, Tucker is watching over Stephanie, who is being watched closely by Albert, who has been salivating over her. Seriously, it's creepy. <laughs> Stephanie has acquired the knife and tells Tucker to go get ammunition from Joy, as she can handle Albert. Tucker leaves to go find Joy, and he reveals what happened the night that his wife died. He was asleep and went downstairs to find that the door had been pried open. After he checked on his kids, he found that his wife was murdered on the floor. The defense had made the case that he faked the home invasion and he was sentenced to death. Joy tells him that they will be the final two. Just then, they hear a shout from the woods and find Albert chowing down on Stephanie's neck. Albert manages to stab Tucker and get him away from the gun and ammunition. Albert chases Tucker through the forest. A struggle ensues over the gun, which falls off the edge of a rock face. Albert goes after it, and Tucker runs for the hills. While continuing to pursue Tucker, Albert is eaten alive by beetles, and I have never seen a more thrilling and poetic death. <laughs> Stephanie is struggling to breathe after her encounter with Albert, and Tucker isn't hanging in very well either. Joy encounters a saber-toothed tiger, which lunges at her. It overshoots its target and misses her, and she leaves it down there. Stephanie is still struggling, but Tucker strengthens his resolve. Then Stephanie encounters Joy, who kicks her into the saber-toothed tiger trap that she... kind of made. This leaves Tucker and Joy in the final two. They are removed from the game for a short time while it's on commercial break. Laura reveals that she is part of the cavemen and that she's going to kill the host on live TV. Laura kills Savannah and one of the other guards who is not in on this plot. 
Uh, Joy and Tucker reawaken after being knocked out by the host, and he introduces the fourth segment, first showing the recording of Bailey and Andrew from earlier to uh, Tucker. Laura walks into the control room, planning on murdering the host. Joy and Tucker are chained to a bar in the middle of a sand desert. They have to find the key in the sand and then cross the circle on the outside edge. Joy does not search and instead taunts Tucker and beats him into submission. She reveals that she was the one who murdered Tucker's wife. The host decides to drop in a T-Rex and Joy finds her key, but just as she is about to escape, the host drops in another two Rexes who end up attacking each other. The first Rex kills the second, which lands on Joy's chain, pinning her. One of the Rexes knocks Tucker over, breaking his arm, and then Tucker uses a sliver of bone from the compound fracture to pick the lock, and he runs for the edge of the circle. Joy also frees herself from where the dinosaur carcass is pinning her to the floor. Or to the ground, I suppose. And they both race to the edge of the circle, chased by the Rexes. Ultimately, it is a race to the finish line, but Tucker wins by a hair. Uh, which leaves Joy dead beside him. Laura turns on the game makers, holding them all at gunpoint. With the help of her security guard and doctor friend, she is able to put the host into the Jurassic games with the Rex. Brian, one of the tech guys, tries to keep her from killing the host, but she shoots Brian. And then one of the Rexes eats the host live on TV, and he dies from lethal injection that was meant for Tucker. Tucker wakes up to a gunfight between Laura's team and the Jurassic game security, uh, everyone dies except for Tucker, who survives and goes back to his family because he did win the games. But also, despite Laura's efforts, the Jurassic games go on better than ever. And by better than ever, I mean they just rig a bunch of dinosaurs with some kind of high-tech gun and other kinds of equipment. It's kind of pointless in reality. <laughs> Um, so, okay, everybody, that was the plot to the Jurassic games. Not too bad, right? So now we are on to a wonderful segment known as The Forgivable Choices. The Forgivable Choices. All right, now we're back to The Forgivable Choices, everybody. So, forgivable. Uh, the graphics are not nearly as bad as I had first anticipated once I saw their budget. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we're not talking a big name Universal Studios budget here, so for what they do with it, they do it pretty well, honestly. Um, obviously, some of the dinosaurs look generic and like they've just been plopped in and the weather effects don't quite apply to them, but I also know that they're computer generated in-universe, so I was okay with that. The sound design is ripped straight from Jurassic Park, um, but I can't fault them for that either. Um, after Jurassic Park, we decided as a society that how they sounded in Jurassic Park is exactly how they sounded in real life. So the raptors need to have high dolphin screeches and tyrannosaurs need to have elephant bellows in their sound design. Uh, really, that's no fault to the sound team here. No fault at all. That is just the way that Jurassic Park back in 1992 set the standard for dinosaur movies. The scenes from the Game Makers Hub are actually quite good. Uh, yes, I will continue to call them Game Makers, like we're in the Hunger Games because that's exactly what they are. The Game Makers Hub looks pretty realistic and futuristic, but there's nothing really to set it apart from any other movie set in, quote-unquote, the future. The, the graphics for that are bland, but they're not terrible. It's very, very much similar to 
Seneca Crane's whole setup in the first Hunger Games movie. Um, the costuming is decent, but uh, easily the best is- bit is the host dinosaur helmet. That shit is cool. I want one, honestly. It's got, like, these saber teeth that come down. It's really, it's honestly really cool. My other thing is that Joy, despite her villainy, very much looks like Kim Possible. <laughs> they gave her a Kim Possible outfit. Call me, beat me, if you want to kill me. <laughs> so, like I was mentioning before, the acting in this is surprisingly good. Honestly, it's shockingly so at times. Um, Hampton and Burgess in particular are excellent together and have really great chemistry. And the reason I find this particularly impressive is because of Burgess's age and the difficulty of the character that she was trying to portray. She pulls off the sociopathic serial killer vibe very well and I absolutely appreciate her work. Um, honestly, I really can't say much about everybody except probably Laura and a couple of miscellaneous others, but I'll get into that during the Unforgivable Choices. Ryan Merriman is a fucking delight. Um, The host is kind of this shallow, sensationalist hottie who draws the crowd in with his personal brand of idiotic sadism. Uh, He also gets some really fun line, my favorite being... I am not the judge. We are not the jury. But the game... The game is the executioner. And the game decides... Who lives and who dies? Uh, He easily provided the most laughs because he also gets some of the cringiest lines, but we'll get into that. The opening fake-out with Joy being a decent person was a decent way to set it up. Um, It's not completely obvious at first because I legitimately thought she was going to be the Katniss to Tucker's PETA for a while, but then I realized that she was not going to be the sweetheart that kicks ass. I'll talk about her more in The Unforgivable Choices because some very, very poor writing mistakes were made. I want to very much point this out. This is not a reflection on Katie Burgess. This is a reflection on Galen. The writing is the problem here. Uh, Continuing on with the fake outs, I enjoyed the suspenseful buildup with the raptors and the Mason brothers in the canyon and how they were very clearly taunting the raptors into attacking. Watching the raptors phase through their bodies was a really cool little fake out moment and I appreciated it highly. Uh, The maze section is really fun, as is Ren's death, as stupid as it is. Um, The maze section I thought was easily the the best thought out and the best part of the Jurassic games as a game show. You know, it's kind of, you kind of have to rate this movie as both a game show and a movie, to some extent. The game show aspect of it, this is the absolute best segment. The first segment's pretty good, the second segment is fantastic, The third segment, boring as hell. The fourth segment and the time leading up to the fourth segment, perfect. Um, But anyway, back to the maze section. Uh, It gives us these tight, dark spaces that made the raptor such an iconic villain from the first Jurassic Park movie. Like when you're in the kitchen and you're feeling all these oogly-wooglies and you're getting goosebumps because, oh my god, these kids are about to get eaten. They're kids. What are we going to do? Or um, in when Ellie is down in the control room and she's in these really tight spaces turning on the electric fences and you have all this suspense going and then the raptor bursts through the tubing at her. You know, that kind of a vibe, which I very much appreciated and I wish so much that it had been longer. The raptors feel a bit stiff though, less intelligent and more like dumb missiles going straight for the jugular. 
it might kind of be a ripoff of the magical maze from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, but at least it's fun and we get a raptor kill. Uh, Ren's death, like I was talking about earlier, is very stupid but fun. Uh, he uses his chain around his wrist to keep the raptors at bay for a long time, but eventually they grow tired of the game. The raptors are really hilarious in this segment because it just, you can tell that they're just toying with Ren. They're just like, oh, he's got the chain, let's make him think that he's got this covered, and then we find out he doesn't! He don't got this! <laughs> and he definitely did not got that. Uh, there's this really great thing that I realized that I really enjoyed after I talked about the film with my friend for a little bit. Uh, the actors are clearly having so much fun with the film. They all know it's campy, corny, and that the writing isn't great, but they are putting their all into their parts, which I think is what makes this movie so fun. I think it also stems from the fact that none of the characters are good people, with the exception of Tucker and his family, of course. All of them have hurt and tortured people, and all of them have decently fun and quirky personalities and are enjoying themselves by being so villainous. I can say firsthand that it is so much more fun to play the villain in a story than it is to play the lead. Even though you always want to play the lead, playing the villain is the absolute most fun you can have. So I totally, absolutely understand why they have so much fun playing these roles. There are a couple of commercials about the games in the movie advertising toys for children. Well, I resent this gross paragon of commercialism, I understand where they came from with this. Absolutely, if they were doing some like, something like this, they would franchise the absolute living fuck out of it. I appreciate it for that aspect, and it's got a little bit of world building. Not enough, <laughs> but a little bit. The special effects makeup in the film is surprisingly good. Besides when Gonzalez begins, uh, quote-unquote, foaming at the mouth, because the foam in his mouth looks more like dish soap foam. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but when they do beer commercials to make it look like there's so much foam on the top of the beer, they actually drop a few drops of yellow or clear dish soap into the bottom and then pour the beer because it will make the foam stay for longer and photograph better. So that's very much what it reminded me of. Otherwise, the wounds that they do are good, the burns are good, and above all, it looks right with the other SFX. It's not the greatest makeup, but it's good enough with the budget that they were under. The entire scene, the well, the actually the entire time that they are in the woods after the minefield segment are really good. There's great tension between the players. The deaths are great, especially since both Stephanie and Alfred's deaths were very poetic. Stephanie is lured into a false sense of security and then killed by a saber-toothed tiger, which is kind of mimics the stabbing motion of how she killed her victims. Alfred the cannibal was eaten alive by bugs, which is also very appropriate. I cheered at his death, especially after seeing him creep on Stephanie so much. It was just a very vindicating moment when he died. Tucker's wounds and watching him gathering his strength were really good. You really come to love him by the end of the film, and the moment where he tells his kids that he's coming home to them is really sweet, and I found it very impactful. And then the last few seconds of Tucker's in the games are amazing too. He won by the skin of his teeth out of sheer will, and that was incredible to see. The fact that he got to go back to his kids was also fantastic. Even if the games were still going, it was really nice. But speaking of, why are the games still going? Why? Oh, I suppose. This leads us into my favorite segment, the Unforgivable Choices. 
This is unforgivable. Okay, let's start with the setup. I really do think that people forget just how the death penalty works. If you are in a state that allows it at all, you are allowed up to three appeals after your initial conviction. The appeals process can take upwards of five to ten years. Unless the appeals process in the United States has been completely discarded by this point, which I doubt they would do because it is a fundamental human right in the case of a mistrial, there is no way that these people would have spent as little time in the system as they did. It's simply ridiculous. I want to know exactly how they convicted Tucker, considering all the DNA evidence that they would have found is circumstantial because they lived together. Was there a motive? Was there other evidence? We don't know. We're never told. But it certainly sounds like something that was set up just for drama. Also, who the hell is taking care of his kids, much less allowing them to watch their father die on live television? That's also incredibly irresponsible. Who would allow two young children to watch their parent die on television? Somebody they love, even if his kids didn't believe that he was innocent? Why would they be allowed to watch this? I do not understand this at all. (laughs) Uh, Here's something I would have loved to see a little bit more of. The character bios we got for Billy, Gonzalez, and Ren. Um, It would have been nice to get more of a feel for a few other characters. They show the character bios for those three characters up on the screen so you know exactly what they did. For example, Billy was guilty of 35 counts of murder in the first degree and sentenced to death and all that kind of stuff. You know, it'd be nice to get a feel for a few other characters or for some cool details about ones that we don't get enough about. For example, if you listen close, you would understand that Tucker's life wasn't just ruined by the murder of his life, but also his career in the NFL. Um, That's an important reason for the audience to have sympathy sympathy with him. Not only did Joy take, or the justice system really, not only was his wife and his children, his whole family taken from him, but his career, his very lucrative career was taken away from him. And that's where you go, oh, that's kind of important to his character. But we don't get that. I'm not sure why we were allowed to learn about characters like Ren and Billy, both of whom are kind of short-term characters. We only get Billy for the first 15 minutes, and we only get Ren for the first 20, 25. But we don't get anything else about Alfred the Cannibal or the Mason Brothers, both of whom I would have loved to know more about. It sounded like the Mason Brothers were only guilty of being poor, or at least running some kind of criminal enterprise to make money to support their sick mother. Really, there's not much there that to tell us about. We don't know anything more about them. And we spend the next, like, we spend at least two acts of the movie with these people, and we know nothing about them. I don't understand why they decided to give us info on Ren and Billy when we could have had more about the Mason brothers and Alfred the Cannibal. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, also, they don't name the individual Mason brothers, which gets kind of confusing. I know We know that they're brothers. I don't need or want to call them little brother and big brother. Jed and Fred would have been fine if he wanted to go really simple or stupid. The same goes for the host. It would have been great to get some sort of name for him, but this is just lazy. To not name three separate characters in your script is lazy. The plot itself is kind of a mess. While you know where it's going from the very beginning, from there we branch out into a messy tumbleweed of unused plot points. I'm going to get into more of these later, but just know that it's a fucking mess. The full third section is a waste. 
I mean, it's super lame. Walk across a minefield, get blown up? Cool. But I have a map to get us safely through the minefield without stepping on any mines. Less cool. <laughs> it only served to kill off the other brother. That was it. It could have been f better for the little brother to get picked up by a pterodactyl and then dropped on a mine and then for the little and then for the big brother to run into a mine out of grief for his brother. It would have made much more impact and would have made more sense in the long run because the little brother dies seconds before the third section. Seconds. It didn't make any sense. Okay. The Hunger Games ripoffs. They're huge. <laughs> Um, coming back to where I started talking about Joy from earlier, it is very clear and obvious that they faked us into thinking of her as a Katniss for a, for a few minutes, but she is certainly not a Katniss ripoff. No, instead, she's a ripoff of the career tributes from the first movie, particularly Clove with Cato's vindictive streak. The climactic scene where Joy is viciously explaining how she killed Mrs. Tucker feels exactly like when Clove has Katniss pinned after she goes to steal medicine for PETA and is talking about Rue. It's all a huge psychological game so that their victim dies with the most mental turmoil possible. This does not feel like an homage, this is just a, what if Clove was our real protagonist fan fiction, really. The game makers are exactly the same as they are in the Hunger Games, just completely, completely the same. You may just as well cut, call the host and Savannah Seneca Crane. Their whole purpose is to put these people through as much pain and suffering as possible. There's no difference here except for the fact that Jurassic Games Arena is completely virtual and the one in the Hunger Games is very physical. There's no difference. None whatsoever. None. Here's another big problem with the games. Whoever wins them wins their freedom back. Uh, what if Albert or Joy actually won? Alberts of Joys have won before. Both of them would go right back to what they were doing before, which is killing people. Albert wouldn't be able to restrain himself for very long before he could rip somebody's throat out with his teeth, and then he'd be promptly thrown back in prison. So, in essence, what's the point when half of these people would reoffend immediately? The best thing would be for the games to give them a path to freedom, psychiatric care, or allowing them to go through the appeals process. That I could see. If they had the appeals process and said, you can go through this, it would make so much more sense. But they don't allow that. Uh, here's a fun goof, actually. Uh, at the very beginning, when the games begin, the professor is killed immediately by the T-Rex and his mask lights up red as he dies via lethal injection. But when we go back to the host, the professor's mask is blue again, and then we recap his death five minutes later. This isn't a problem with the script, per se, it's just shitty editing. Basically, what should have happened is that we should have had the shot of people running, we should have been given back to the host, and then... This guy should have died and we should have gone into the instant replay like it's a sporting event. That's what should have happened. Okay, this is unforgivable. They show us a gigantic spider, but they don't use it. I was very triggered. I hate spiders. It was very clear that the spider was just there to make people like me squirm. <laughs> it's not a great look, guys. It's not a great look. Here's a big plot complaint. Joy attempts to hang Tucker. Why? If she wanted him to be her endgame, why try to hang him, of all things? If she wanted to finish what she started, if that was the whole reason for her to enter the game like she says it is at the end, wouldn't she want to do it in a way that makes it the most fun for her? Killing him in the very first challenge seems counterproductive. Um, on the other hand, it turns Ren into a deus ex machina that is immediately killed off. 
for one. But if she really wanted Tucker to know that she was the person who tore his life apart, why not tell him right then? She could have turned on him in a sadistic sort of way later on. This didn't make any sense. I don't understand why she decided to hang him. It was a very much a weird decision. Also, where did she get the rope from? None of them are ever given any tools unless it was very clearly stated in the games. This is a virtual world. She did not pull rope out of her ass. Where did it come from? I firmly think that she should have just beat the shit out of him, left him there to get eaten, and let Ren find him. That would have been the best way to do it without having to have all the noose references. Maybe it was just another way for him to be executed. I don't get it. Also, uh, Joy's real name is Sarah. What's the point of changing her name? She's clearly not a joy to be around. Is it to distance herself from her crime, maybe? This is never explained and could have very easily been swapped for a deeper dialogue that would have revealed more about her psyche, rather than just the fact that she doesn't like to be called Sarah, she just likes to be called Joy. Well, then make her name Joy and talk about why she's a fucking psychopath. Just saying. The dialogue, for the most part, speaking of, is atrocious. <laughs> Um, although the primary culprits of shit dialogue are the female newscasters that were definitely written into the script by men. Entertainment news. This year's contestants for the Jurassic Games have been chosen. I don't even care about the contestants. I want to see the hot host and what he's going to be wearing and saying. That's what I want to watch. Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> there is definitely bad dialogue coming from the main cast, too. Uh, Alfred's... This is real! I can taste Line is cringeworthy and uh, shudder-inducing. Along these same lines, men Ren mentions that they are being hunted. Rip off an iconic line from the first Jurassic Park, why don't ya? <laughs> okay, back to plot, I suppose. Uh, the subplot with the Mason brothers and the Wasp is very... Well, it doesn't go anywhere or serve any purpose other than to kill the Mason brothers after they find out that their mother is dead. They help the Wasp hobble for a while, until he gets killed by a ripoff for the Chacker Dracker Stings. I also don't understand why the big brother decided that when he went out, he was going to try to take Tucker with him. It seems like a very poor position, like, I just lost all of my family, so why should you go back to yours? Very shitty. He could have just fought with his brother again. Especially since little brother died ten seconds later. Didn't matter. It just it didn't matter. Why not have them all get through the ma- uh, I can't keep correcting this. <laughs> Speaking of the pterodactyls, the pterodactyls are very underutilized. Um, at least they were a decent plot point in Jurassic Park 3, because the, the pterodactyls here are pointless. In fact, the whole segment is pointless. More people die in the safe zone than in this segment. They should have just been left to their own devices here, Hunger Games style, instead of given this easy and irrelevant challenge. That's the realty here. Laura's character is very flat. Uh, while she puts on her professional face for her boss, she doesn't do it very well, and her boss sees through her a mile away. Her acting is very bland, and it's one of the two performances that I didn't enjoy. And the other one was very minor. It was actually Andrew's performance, um, Tucker's son's, that I didn't enjoy. Also, Laura shoots Savannah and kills her, but she does it without a silencer. And yet nobody hears the gunshot. Okay, sure, Jan. Sure, Jan. Uh, her plotline is poorly conceived. An anti-capital punishment group known as the Cavemen have been attacking the Jurassic Games, which sets us up for the games to be ruined at the end, but to be ruined by the Cavemen. We never actually get confirmation that Laura is part of the Cavemen. Not once do we get that. And an 
An inside job was a good move, but the cavemen are never heard of after the second act of the film. It's just poor setup for the finale. The final challenge is frankly a little boring. I hate to say it, but it is. Especially compared with the excellent maze segment. When you compare things to the maze segment, I suppose, though, everything is boring. Joy and Tucker are just chained up in the desert. I've seen more stressful things on the show Survivor. The real life one. <laughs> with no dinosaurs. Joy killing Tucker's wife. Uh, here, this is plot again. This comes completely out of nowhere. It explains her hyper-focus on Tucker, but to be fair, everyone seems to have a hyper-focus on Tucker because he might actually be innocent. It comes out of nowhere. She never gives any hints outside of her normal sociopathic behavior. Excuse me. I don't understand why they thought this was a good plot twist when there was absolutely no setup of her being from the area that Tucker is. Also, Tucker was asleep during the attack, and neither his kids or himself woke up to her screaming even though she clearly did scream. And Joy even states that Mrs. Tucker was tortured. This plot is more holy than a block of Swiss cheese blessed by the Pope in the River Jordan. <laughs> it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Also, why didn't they immediately pull Tucker out of the game once they realized he was innocent? They remark on it in the movie. So you know he's innocent, but you're cool with getting an innocent man killed. He didn't do anything. You know this. She just admitted to his wife's murder on live TV. That's heartless. And honestly, I can't say that I disagree with Laura's actions after that. Uh, Brian, the tech, says that they programmed the dinosaurs to behave the same way that they would in real life in the arena. How do they know how dinosaurs act? Uh, dinosaurs have been dead for 65 million years. We can only speculate on their behavior from their bones. Plus, the film repeats a Jurassic Park sin. The raptors depicted are not velociraptors. They are based on a Deinonychus, which is a separate species, although they are from the same family. Um, Jurassic Park got this wrong because they wanted a different visual interpretation, which is fine. The Jurassic Games got this wrong because they were copying Jurassic Park's most famous dinosaurs. There is no Velociraptor that would behave the same way as a Deinonychus would do because they were different. So what does Brian mean by this line? Did they clone dinosaurs to study their behavior in this universe? I'm really not sure. What do you guys think? Let me know on Twitter. A big complaint of mine is how little is done to establish the games in universe. One of the reasons that the Hunger Games is so popular is because the universe is so well established and well rounded by the time you get into the arena. We know some of the history and much of the background of everything before we even set foot in the Hunger Games. Here we are thrown into the movie without any sense of when or where this is happening. You can only really discern the exact time from the character profiles and they show on screen in the beginning. And from looking at that closely, all I can figure out is that we are in a time period some time after 2040. Beyond that, I don't know. We don't know how long the games have gone on for. We don't know why or who established them. We don't know if there's only one reason why they were established. Having a bigger figure representing the government or just the games in itself, like a President Snow, would have given this landscape the depth it desperately needed. The movie is likable, like I said earlier, but it's very shallow because of it. Uh, speaking of shallow, the movie has a very strong anti-capital punishment message, um, but it's very confusing because of its last moments. Laura's movement against the games, culminating in the, death, in the death of the host, is all about not having a say in whether someone lives or dies, and there's a lot about accidentally admitting someone into their games that if they had not actually committed a crime. But instead, 
Laura's goons don't account for armed guards, so all of the freedom fighters die. No statement is made. The only person left alive is the man who didn't commit murder. He didn't commit murder. The message is very confused, and I encourage anyone listening who gets it to explain it to me. Because it just doesn't make any sense how the freedom fighters get completely ignored. It just, there's no message here. Also, why did Tucker have to get shot in the finale? I don't get that. He gets shot in the chest, and he very much looks like he's about to die. Didn't he? Why? Why was that necessary? He just got out of the Jurassic games. He had just watched a girl the age of his daughter die. He had just watched a lot of people die. What is the point of harming him when he already has quite a bit of PTSD from both his trial, having to listen to the gruesome details of his wife's murder, knowing that he met her murderer, and now suddenly he gets shot? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why that's necessary. There's no reason. Alright. The cinematics in the final few moments of Laura's coup against the game makers is all in slow motion, but there's no reason for them to be in slow-mo except to artificially build emotion that I don't have towards Laura. Like I said, she's very flat and not very interesting. She just wants to murder the host. Cool. Great. 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 Alright. And this is my biggest... And final complaint. Why did there need to be dinosaurs in this movie? Really, they had no reason to be. Literally, anything can be superimposed over the raptors or the T-Rex or the pterodactyls, but it will have the same effect. The movie has a flippant throwaway line about dinosaurs testing higher in the focus groups, but we don't have enough world-building context to either confirm nor deny this. Um, you know, there's a saying in writing workshops that if your scene could take place in a hot air balloon, maybe it should. I'm sure that Galen probably heard this phrase when he was reworking the script at some point, which is why he wrote that particular line in. But basically, the answer to why are there dinosaurs in this movie when there don't need to be, um, is fuck you, that's why, I can do what I want. While I understand that you think that there's always a good reason to include everything from your first draft, clearly this movie didn't need everything. It had a message about corporal punishment, but I don't know what it is because it's buried in shitty velociraptor graphics. It's listless after, a point, after you watch it a couple times. Alright, so before we get into the review segment, I'm going to quick have you um, listen to a message from our sponsor. So without further ado, here is the ad from our wonderful sponsor. What will it be? Elevator music! Okay, now to the end of our suffering. Alright, so I'm going to do this a little differently than I did last time. So I'm going to go by the three main places I look for reviews. Uh, so we're going to start with Rotten Tomatoes, and we're going to do a critic score and an audience score. Um, I'd like to remind you that Rotten Tomatoes gave this an 83% critic score, and has this movie has a verified fresh rating, <laughs> and a 43% audience score. Critic Bobby Lapire from Film Threat says of the, the movie, The Jurassic Games has a predictable storyline and an ending that does not work because of a gargantuan plot hole. But the act action is exciting, the acting is good, and the special effects are exquisite. End quote. I wonder if he has eyes if he's calling the graphics ex exquisite. They're better than you would think for a movie with a budget of $10 million. But let's not kid ourselves. It's This is not Jurassic Park 1 
quality. Uh, the audience, um, an audience member named Gunner P said of the movie, this movie saved my life. I would be dead if I hadn't watched this movie. Me and my friend found a tent in the middle of the woods and talked about staking it out to see who was living there. But instead, we watched this. We went back later that night and the man living there was waiting for us, so we ran away. If we would have staked it out and not watched the movie, he would have gotten to us and did whatever he wanted. The movie saved his life. It's a very, very touching bullshit story. <laughs> Moving on. IMDb. So IMDb has a score at a 3.7 out of 10. And a reviewer on IMDb said, If you expect great cinema, plot, character development, intrigue, original concepts, or any hallmark of a quality artistic cinematography, boy, are you in the wrong place. <laughs> One-dimensional characters, blah writing, and utter predictability are the only trains leaving the station. However, this movie take doesn't take itself too seriously, and it's a good way to kill an evening on the couch with popcorn. Also, the girl who plays Joy clearly almost has a bit of talent, as does the host. They're alright, and almost break a second dimension of the characters. But who cares? If you've seen Running Man, that's a much better expression of the same idea. Society sucks, This guy, the good guy wins. Huzzah! And honestly, I think that's the one of these reviews that I think I agree with the absolute most, but I'll get that back to that when I get to my personal review. Alright, so now we have the Amazon reviews. On Amazon, the film has 3 out of 5 stars. And Kevin from Amazon says, Don't get me wrong, this movie is terrible, lol. The CGI is not the worst I have seen, but it is bad. And the quality drops poorly as the movie goes on. It picks up again to the initial quality for the climax of the movie. There are more than a few plot controversies throughout, and there is nothing original about the plot. However... I was entertained through the whole movie. You can tell the actors are giving an honest effort. There's actually a little, just a little, character development. And they do take a moment to question the morals of the plot in an attempt to add some depth. Make no mistake, it's schlock. Pure, unadulterated schlock. But if you accept that going in, I think you'll have a good time like I did. And, yeah, I concur, I concur a little bit more with the last one. But now, I can actually talk about it because this is... Allison's review. And my review here is I'm not exactly sure to where to leave off with this one. It's competently shot, decently acted, there was some real chemistry between the actors, and the dinosaurs are fun. But ultimately, the storyline is predictable, holy, but alright. You do hit some snags with some absolutely massive plot holes, shameless ripoffs of the Hunger Games franchise, Jurassic Park, The Running Man, Survivor, and a handful of other films and oodles and boodles of bad dialogue, let me just tell you. Um, but I think that ultimately the film is better than average, and perhaps I was wrong to jump on it so quickly when I saw it. Um, I had another movie planned for today that I had almost finished the script on, but when I saw this movie I was like, I have to do it, I have to watch this now, I need to do this this week. Um, and I kind of regret that a little bit, because this movie wasn't nearly as bad as I had originally anticipated, and I almost partially don't think that it almost doesn't I think almost think it doesn't belong in this podcast but the ratings don't lie and the plot holes do not lie it does belong here <laughs> uh, I just don't think it's quite as funny as I wanted it to be 
But that just means that I'm extra prepared for our first show of February, I suppose. Which is a doozy, everybody. We are reviewing a movie that has a 1.8 out of 10 stars on IMDb. Yes, it is that bad. And I can say it is hilariously that bad. And you'll get to see that on February 5th of 2020. So until then... I'm going to give this film five game makers out of ten, because God knows how many times I said the word game makers. Game makers? Game makers. Game makers. Uh, <laughs> um, God knows how many times I said the word game makers in this show today. So, uh, without further ado, this has been the second episode of the So Below Average podcast. If you feel so inclined, please follow my Twitter page at SoBelowAverage1. Um, that's S-O-B-E-L-O-W-A-V-E-R-A-G-E-1 on Twitter. If you're listening to on YouTube, please feel free to subscribe, like, and share these videos so that I can reach more people who enjoy suffering with me. Um, if you're on Apple, please subscribe and review. I'd love to have you. Don't forget to click the notification bell, YouTubers, so you'll be informed of exactly when I add a new episode. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to me at SoBelowAverage19 at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening once again, and remember not to go anywhere near this movie. It is so below average. Bye, guys. Bye.